Hey guys, this is Coach Keita Bussey, Mike Seifert, and Grant, Grant Chancellor Madison. We are talking with Dex Bradley today from the Army Marksmanship Unit. He's going to drop some training tips and tell us how to get into the Army Army Marksmanship Unit, things like that. Give us a little bit of his story. This is 180 Firearms Training Podcast. So Dex, welcome to the show. Tell us hey. a little bit about yourself, your background, what you do in your shooting life. <laughs> well, um, I've been doing competitive shooting for the past 14 years now. I started when I was 12 and my dad kind of got me into it. And once he took me to the range and showed me what it was about, I was hooked ever since. Um, I wanted to make that my career. And so I pursued the USAMU and here I am. So what is the training schedule like? Do they create your training schedule for you or are you able to do that yourself? How does that work? I'm able to build my own training plan. Um, if they see me start to struggle in certain areas, they'll help me out and help me build certain training routines or regimens to, to build up on those areas that are struggling. But for the most part, I can basically train on my own and, and work on what I need to work on. So do they have people on board, coaches to help you out, or do they just have other AMU participants help you out? Do you guys take classes? What do you do? Uh, for the most part, it's really internal. Like, so I'm on the action shooting team and everything that we do is very team internal. So like all the training that we do for our shooting abilities or our, uh, our classes that we will uh that we'll partake in. That's all stuff that we will actually do in-house. Um, it's it's kind of different. We'll end up changing um, we'll end up changing how we go about certain things. If we feel that there's things we need to work on, we'll address them in a different way to see if we can uh, mitigate the issues that we're having. Okay, so you just you just work together and figure it out. Pretty much, yeah. All right. Have a we do have a coach. He's our team chief, but he's also our coach. If he sees that we're having issues, he'll jump in and he'll help us out as well. Okay, so tell us about what you do shoot and what you've done in the past with your shooting. Okay, um, so I shoot open division in USPSA. I've been to countless USPSA nationals. I have a a junior national title. No, that doesn't really count, but it's still something. Um, I've won a couple area matches. Actually, I take that back. I've won one area match. That would be area two last year. Um, That's a tough and, one to win. Yes, that is a tough one to win, especially with how bad the weather was last year. That was brutal. Um, and then a top 10 finish at nationals this year. This was my uh, personal best for me at a nationals. Congratulations on that. That's awesome. So what's the plan moving forward for 2022? The plan for me is to keep training hard. We'll see if I can finish in top five and, you know, go from there. Okay. Now I understand you also teach. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So the majority of the teaching that we do is based uh, mainly with army units. So we'll train um rangers will train uh line units will train snipers anybody that really wants to come in 
work on specific skill sets that we have to offer them. Now, are you looking to branch out from there at all as an instructor? I am, yes. I would like to get my own instructor course available um, out to the public. I'm working on a curriculum at the at the moment. It's it's a work in progress. It's coming along, but sooner or later I'll have a I'll have a curriculum out and I'll be able to promote it. And now, something I something I found with people like you with advanced skills. If you're teaching newer shooters, it's hard for a lot of people to remember back to when they were new and to break down that curriculum in a way that they can wrap their minds around it. Have you run into that at all? In some cases, yeah. I've found it difficult for me to be able to pick and choose what are the, the things that I should work on in a, as an instructor to help new people get into it. Um, and as well as bringing it down to the points where it's better for advanced shooters to pick and pick and choose what items they can get out of my classes that'll actually benefit them. Okay. Well, while we're talking about classes, I'm going to take a little detour here and I will put this information in the show notes. I just want to let you guys all know what classes I have coming up for movement. I have the smart move class, which is movement and the train smart class, which is basically how to train. So in March, the 3rd and 4th, or 5th and 6th, in Gaskin, Florida, on the Panhandle, we've got Smart Move. March 18th to 19th, Richmond, California. April 9th and 10th, East Texas Rifle and Pistol Club. May 21st and 22nd, Osceola, Iowa. In June, I have Greece, Italy, Portugal, and the Netherlands. August 29th to 30th, North Carolina, and we are working on a class in Alaska. You can email me 180firearmstraining at gmail.com if you would like more information on any of those classes, and I will put info in the show notes as well. Girl gets around. (laughs) (laughs) So, So, so Dex, uh, one of the things I want to ask you, what made you decide to go into open? Was it just kind of what was available, or did they ask you to do open? How did you do that? Um, so since I've, since I've started, I've always shot open. Um, I have dabbled in production and limited, but for the majority of my career as a competitive shooter, I started in open and I never really went anywhere else. And <coughs> I, how, how can you go down? You know, I mean, you start in the best, you gotta you yeah, right. kind of ride that out, you know? <laughs> and when I, when I tried out for the unit, they, basically gave me the option to shoot whatever division I wanted and I wanted to stay with open because that's what I know so here I am so what advice would you give to someone who's thinking about joining the army and wants to get into the army marksmanship unit how yeah, do you do even, it what would even be like the process like if, if that was like my dream like, yeah, oh, like man, a I saw these guys shoot and I wanted to I want to you know, say I was like a young kid and I seen you guys out at a match somewhere wherever you guys were. And I was like, man, I really wanted to shoot the armor marksmanship unit. <laughs> like, like what would, like, what would be the process for me? Like what, what, what should I be shooting for? Like when I go sign up, like do I just sign up for basic or whatever it is? And, and then I get to pick or how does that work? Um, so to get to the unit, it's, it's a little different. You can't just go to your recruiting station and say, Hey, I want to go to the USAMU and you know, they'll write you up a set of orders and away you go. That, that's not really how it works. Um, 
But when I decided I wanted to get to the AMU, I put my nose to the grindstone and I just started working and seeing seeing myself grow. Uh, the, the AMU will take notice of that. So if you if you put your nose to the grindstone and you put you start putting up results, they'll notice you and they'll actually start watching you. They actually approached me when I was 16, 17, tail end of high school. They approached me and offered me a spot. And due to family issues, I, I wasn't able to accept it at the time. And then here um, a few years ago, I was fortunate enough to get a second chance. And I took it as soon as I got that chance. So you enlisted because you were recruited. Yes. Okay. So it's not usually the other way around. So you're already shooting in the shooting sports to get right. noticed. Yep. Um, now there are people in that, in the AMU that are prior service. Understood. And get into the AMU that route. It just takes a little more work on that end. They'll have to build a packet and submit it and then come try out and all that good stuff. Okay, so if you're already in, you can try out. So what is the process for that? They just contact the AMU and say, I want to try out for this? Um, I don't know the ins and outs of it completely because I didn't come to do it that way. Um, But from my understanding, they they have to build a packet like like you would if you were trans transferring to a different unit. It's that kind of packet. And then. uh, at that point, you'll send the packet up, and you know if the, if the likes it, they'll bring you over for a for a tryout, and you'll spend time with the team that you're trying out for, and they'll see how you fit and go from there. Now, so, how accurate I am with that, but that's my basic understanding of it. No, what's the what's the tryout like? Is it like shooting a USPSA match, or is it like a? That depends the based on the team that you're trying out for. So for me. My tryout was a week. I spent a week with the team, training with them, um, giving like a mock-up class on how to shoot a pistol or how to shoot a USPSA match. Uh, They have a little questionnaire that is really interesting that you get 30 minutes to fill out. And there's questions in there that you would, there's, there's no wrong answer to them. Like one of the questions that's really good for me is uh, that kind of caught me off guard was describe what it's like to see to a blind person. Huh. I mean, that's one of those questions that just lets them fill you out and, and see see what kind of answer you'll provide. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Every so team is mock-up class. So the they expect thing. you to teach classes as a representative of AMU? I do, yes. Um, the majority. They, do they expect that to happen? I'm sorry? Do they expect you to teach class or teach classes as a member of AMU? Yes. That is something that comes with the job. Okay. So what is your MOS? I'm a 11 Bravo. I'm an infantryman. So can you have pretty much any MOS and still be doing this? Or do you have to be infantry? You can have pretty much any MOS you want. What's MOS for the people that are not in the U.S. Army or not in the U.S.? <laughs> when I enlisted, they gave me the option to pick whatever MOS I wanted to have. Um, but they strongly recommended I go with 11 Bravo or Infantryman 
because the school is right here on Fort Benning. I don't have to travel to a different uh, ferry installation and take the school at a different military installation and then come back. So the MOS is basically whatever job you choose within the military. So when you enlist, you go and take what's called the ASVAB. It's a test that kind of places you and checks what you would be good at. And if you don't do very well, you're probably going to be assigned something or have very limited options. If you do really well on the test, then you can choose pretty much anything you want. Yeah, I got a couple kids in my class that are actually have done that test and they're going to the army. So, yeah, I took that test when I was 17. They said I could do whatever I want, but I wanted to be a mechanic. And they're like, why would you pick that? (laughs) I just like working on cars. Yeah, it's a fun time. So, Grant, you have any more questions about MOS? Uh, No, no, I just want to know what it actually stands for. What does MOS actually stand for? Military Occupational Specialty. That's what that's Okay, there we go. Okay, cool. I can Google that. I can Google that later. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and it always has like a number and a letter. Like he's eleven Bravo, I was sixty three Bravo. Mm-hmm. So it, when someone asks what's your MOS, you're going to get a number and a letter, and most people don't know what they all are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, what kind of training tips do you have for our listeners? Um, for for the more beginners, I would just say put in the put in the time and the effort and it will it will benefit you. But the biggest tip that I can actually push is you have to have a good understanding of the game to be able to perform at the level that you want to have, like at the level that you want. So the, the better understanding you have of the game, the better that you'll end up doing. Um in what way? In what way? Meaning like a better understanding of how the rules are? Or yeah, that... so the rules, like... better, uh, better game the sport. You know, you can, you can manipulate the rules in a way that you're not breaking them, but you can, uh, you can read a stage brief, and if something's not listed in the stage brief, so that might be an advantage, you can utilize that. Right. Uh, it's it's those little things like that can help that that uh, can help you a little bit. Um, something something that I find helped me a lot was having a better mental state when I would go compete because when I first started, I was having a big issue mentally trying to stay focused throughout the entire match. Um, but once I figured out how to maintain mental focus at the at the competition, I was able to perform a lot better. So this is something that I do teach in my train smart class is maintaining that mental focus. There are exercises you can do. You have, it's, it's a muscle. Basically you have to exercise that muscle and something that NBA players do. I think I talked about this on the show before, before their practice even starts, they turn off all the lights and everyone's got a basketball in their hand and they're trying to stay mentally focused on every little detail of that basketball, every little bump and groove and think about those details. And every time they lose focus, they have to pay attention to where their thoughts go and then refocus, bring them back. And that helps you exercise that muscle to maintain that focus throughout the entire match. 
Yeah. So Dex, what did, what did you do that you were doing before that you weren't focused? And then what did, what did you, what did you change in order to maintain your focus? Like what was your things that you noticed was you weren't doing right? Um, things that I ended up finding out that I wasn't doing right was I would get involved in conversations. It's really easy to, you know, you show up to a match, you see all your buddies, it's right. really to, to get lost in conversation and then, Oh, Hey, you're a shooter on deck and you have hardly had any mental prep for that, for that particular stage. So what I ended up doing was I, I kind of seclude myself a little bit more. Um, when I, when it's time for me to shoot or when I'm on the stage, um, I'll kind of, I'll kind of shut everybody out, not in a rude way, but I'll kind of step back and, and, um, mentally run the stage through my head as many times as I can. Um, or, and that was something that helped a lot was being able to step back and try not to let those distractions bother me. And it ended up helping me a lot in the long term. So what do you do in your practice to mentally prepare? So practice is a little bit, I try to make practice as close to a match scenario as possible. I'll try to mentally treat practice like it's a match that can be challenging sometimes especially when there's a few people it can be kind of challenging to keep keep mental focus on the task at hand but for the most part i try to train it like it's a match because then you'll actually do that when it comes match day now you're not setting up whole stages right you're talking about drills i'm setting up drills yes okay yeah there's there is a point in your training where it can be beneficial to set up a whole stage, especially if you're having a lot of trouble with stage planning, visualization, and execution. But then once you get past that point, it's not really useful to shoot a whole stage in your match. You can still set up a whole stage if you want to, but you break it into sections so it becomes multiple drills within the stage. Have you found that at all for you? I've set up I've set up stages in the past, um, but I've basically done what you described. I'll shoot, I'll shoot the whole stage cold. Um, just, just to see what that result is. Then mm-hmm. I'll end up breaking the stage down into and then I'll shoot the whole stage again at the end to see what the improvements were. Yeah. Right. Right. Cold numbers are really important because we shoot all of our stages cold. I mean, you do warm up a little bit, so to speak, as you go through the match. It's not the first stage or the second stage of a big match. So you kind of calm your nerves a little bit and get in a groove. But when you're in practice, you need to be paying really close attention to your cold runs. Because for one thing, we never shoot the same stage twice unless it's a classifier. So it's always a cold stage. So paying attention to those cold times gives you a lot of feedback on your skill level. If you blow one out of the water, just knock it out of the park, you have to let that go. That's an outlier. I mean, it's okay to be happy about it, but you can't hold on to that time and, those hits and think, oh, that's me. No, yeah. that's, that's an outlier. Just like your worst run is an outlier. So you throw out your worst run in practice, you throw out your best run in practice, and look at what you're doing consistently. And that's what you really want to pay attention to. Right. So Dex, what does your like week of practice look like from Monday to Sunday? You know, how many rounds are you firing? How many times are you practicing live fire, draft fire? How does that look? So a typical week for me, I don't, I don't 
train on the weekends. I'll usually go shoot local matches on the weekends if they're available, but a normal training week is anywhere from uh, three to 500 rounds a day. Uh, and I try to condense it. I'll try to do most of my training in the morning just so I can go do other administrative work if I need to. And before I ever set foot on the range, I'll have a training plan set up to where I'll know what I want to work on and I'll utilize that day to work on those specific skills. So you shoot, you shoot every single day, three to 500 rounds. No, I try to, I try to shoot every day. Um, That's awesome. (laughs) I would never dry fire if I could do that. Right. Right. My, my dry fire has significantly been reduced. I, I hardly touch a gun when I'm not actually shooting. Um, But right now off season, I haven't, I haven't touched a gun pretty much since nationals. I don't blame you though. If I shot three to 500 rounds a day, I mean, that almost turns into like, it's like a job, you know? So yeah, that's work. <laughs> yeah. At that point, it's like, you know, when you're really committed to going to the gym every day, it's like, that's something that's serious. You're going to go shoot three to 500 rounds. You know, I'd be taking a break too. Like, God, I'm, I'm a little jealous though. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Grant, you're on a break right now too. You want to tell us about that? Oh that yeah. Going? I'm, I haven't touched. I mean, if I touch a gun, it's to, to shoot people, but, um, <laughs> I for South, South defense, Africa, I'm, you know, yeah, South Africa. I'm, I'm not, I'm not touching a gun to go and uh, um, practice with or anything. Basically, we did some, I did some rifle stuff with an AK and an AR, just testing one of the new bullets from our sponsor. But that was just fun, you know, you're on the range. Um, I did kind of consider just selling all my handguns because you get to sit under a shaded cloth and shoot out to 100 yards, 200 yards. So that was quite fun. So I did briefly <laughs> consider selling all my handguns, but yeah, that I'm basically just, if I'm going to shoot, I'm going to shoot for fun. I'm not, I'm not touching, touching a gun. So I think it's, it's really important. It's really important to take breaks, especially if you're shooting so much because otherwise you burn yourself out and you yeah, start I to was lose that passion. About a thousand, that rounds, thousand rounds a week. So it, it was, yeah, a, I don't know for for me, for me, it's not getting burnt out by shooting too much. That's where I like to have fun at locals and that's a break for me. Yeah, well, but you, you know don't practice. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. But, you know, I mean, there are matches around here where you can shoot two or three times a week if you're really traveling around. I mean, I haven't been doing that very much, but, you know, the difference between, for me, taking a break is, you know, just not being as serious about it. I mean, it's always, it's always serious and I'm always looking to work on it, but I'm not like, you know, just your level of focus <clears> that goes into a major match versus a local. Like to me, that's, that's kind of mentally taking a break. You know, I don't know. Like I didn't feel very good last year after going through the ammo situation. And, you know, I took a couple months off and didn't really shoot very much because I was unsure about how much I was going to have for the season. And yeah. like, I just kind of felt like I took a bunch of steps backwards in that time off. So for me, like, I always feel like you should kind of keep shooting, but like, you know, you got to like ramp up to when you're getting to a major, you know, and like kind of get more serious about it. And then I feel like if you like Dex, you say you stay at that level all the time, you treat your locals like you do any other major match. And for me, like if I did that at every local, I feel like I'd be getting burnt out a little bit. So well, that's where I, I just kind of local that way, but I, there are certain locals. So like if I'm prepping for nationals, I will treat that match a little bit more like a bigger uh, match. A hundred percent. And that's, that's where I say when you got to ramp it up a little bit before majors and I get like, you know, when you're really in the thick of the major season, I mean, you almost have a major every, every weekend or every other weekend, it feels like. So, I mean, you're kind of always in that mode, but yeah, I mean, around this time, you know, I'm still shooting matches, but I'm just trying to, just trying to have fun with it, you know? And that's like what, you know, I don't know. That's why I started. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't get well, paid for it thing, yet. 
another thing taking a break does for you besides helping prevent burnout is it's called spacing and interleaving. I may have talked about that on here before, but Mm -hmm. with spacing, the way that we learn is we have to basically take a break to let the knowledge we've gained move into our long-term memory. If you're practicing every day, every day, every day, then everything you're practicing is in your short-term memory. And if you don't take a break, it doesn't have a chance to move into your long-term memory. And that's why after a break, you go and pick up the gun again and you think, oh, this is going to suck so bad. But after a few rounds, you're like, hmm, I really didn't lose a whole lot. I kind of picked yeah, up right where I left off because you've and to get on that, I need to I need to get on this break because I've been shooting a Glock 35 for the last two years. And every time I pick up my 92X performance, you know, heavy nine mil Beretta, every time I shoot that gun, I'm basically anticipating the recoil of a 40 cal Glock and running the gun like a 40 cal Glock. So I need this break to kind of reset almost. And then I can get back and actually shoot a nine mil gun like it's a nine mil gun. Yeah, I saw you were sending your second shot low every time, anticipating that 40 cal recoil, and it's only nine. And you're like, whoa, (laughs) why did it go down there? Pretty much, yeah. Dex, can you talk a little bit about what you do for fitness? And what Uh, role do you think that plays (laughs) in your shooting? (laughs) So we we do our own PT. We don't have organized uh, group PT like you would see in regular Army units. So... My normal training week uh, for physical fitness is going to be going to the gym for about an hour for about five days a week. And I'll work on each body, you know, each body part uh, throughout the, throughout the week. So So I noticed, go ahead. um, Go ahead. Tell uh, us. Monday, it's going to be like upper body and, uh, upper body and so it's going to be chest and tries tuesdays are back and buys legs or or legs and shoulders are on wednesday and then i just repeat until uh until friday or saturday depending on what i have going on do you do any footwork agility um i try to i will actually incorporate a lot of that into um my day at work so when i go when i go work uh I'm sorry. When I go to work and train, um, I'll set some time aside to actually work on footwork drills. Okay. So what I noticed was in your videos, all of a sudden you were just kind of like bouncing all over the place during your runs because you had more muscle than you were used to and almost didn't even know what to do with it and had to learn how to control it. So that was an issue that you actually pointed out to me. Um, I, I did notice that I had a lot more uh, vertical movement than I should. And then when, when you pointed out, it really stuck with me. And I, I've been working on that a lot ever since. Yeah. It's you work, you worked out too much, man. Too much, too much legs. <laughs> <laughs> well, all of a sudden you have all this muscle and you're just like bounding everywhere, which is great, yeah. but you have to direct it horizontally rather than vertically. Right. So it is beneficial. You just have to learn how to use it. Yeah, I had a learning re- curve. I had to relearn how to move because I I wasn't used to it, so I had to learn how to move again. <clears throat> Grant, you have a question? Oh, that's interesting that like you get so much muscle that you don't know you literally have to relearn. I could see how that would 
be on a stage in, if, uh, in USPSA. Well, if you're used to being actually... fat, you know, and then all of a sudden you're not <laughs> fat and you got a lot of muscle and power. Yeah. Yeah. You can overrun stuff and I can actually see how well, that like would your, your drops that push off turns into like a vertical push up versus like push, pushing horizontal. And then, you right. know, you just... Rex, yeah. sorry, Dex, have you like, when you got all that muscle, have you found yourself like almost falling on a stage because you pushed off so fast or something like that? I, I wouldn't say falling, but I would I would feel myself like bouncing. I felt yeah. like I was bouncing up and down. Yeah, like, I call it the tactical bunny hop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I there is there is a little bit of evidence of me doing something like that on stage one at the nationals, uh, where I had to go around a wall and I basically ran in place for one step, and I was like, well, that sucks, but. Besides that, that was the one major issue that I had that I've been addressing ever since. So it sounds like you uh, get your match videos. You uh, Do you do a lot of – you always have your match videos and you always analyze them? Because, I mean, like I do the exact same thing. I do, yeah. When, I, when I'm uh, able to get match videos, I will actually try to get as much as I can and then analyze them after the match. Right. Because, I mean, the way it feels when you're actually running it first person, you know, sometimes when you look at it from another perspective, it's like, wow. You know, I know that felt good, but it doesn't look very good. So let me see. Yeah, yeah, you see where you sucked at it. Yeah, right. (laughs) And then be like, okay, now that looks good from the third, you know, point of view. And like, now that's just, I got to make sure that's what it feels like mentally now. So it's like, it's just a different change, like in what your head is, you know, but. It's also good to have it for the opposite reason, because sometimes when you get in the zone, you feel like, oh, that was so slow. I, I had all day to hit those alphas. And then you watch the video and it was super fast and you see your time. So then you can go back and look at, when you were in the zone and time felt like it was slowing down and warped right. to try and get yourself back there by watching that video again. You can also use video to help bring pressure to your practice. So if you're, if you had a stage that you shot where you were really feeling a lot of anxiety and a lot of pressure, maybe it's the last stage of nationals or something like that, where it carries the most amount of pressure and you know, you're doing well, then you can go back and watch that video again before you shoot a drill and try to carry that pressure with you onto the stage or drill that you're practicing on. Speaking of pressure, Dex, is, is there a, is there a lot of pressure on you to perform at like a national level and a local level? Um, there is a certain amount of pressure. I had to, I had to adapt to it um, because this, this, I basically took a hobby and turned it into a job. So there became a lot of like there, there ended up be uh, because I'm here at the AMU, a lot of pressure was put on me at that point because now I am expected to perform on the national stage and, and represent the unit at a, at a world level. You know, we are, we have Olympic medalists on our shotgun team. Um, you know, everybody's expected to win like that. That is in our mission statement. Um, so if we're not able to perform it, it can be kind of stressful. There's, there's a little bit of pressure involved, but I had to learn how to use the pressure to benefit me. Um, you know, cause if you work under pressure, then that, that can only benefit you further. I like that your mission statement, it expects you to win. That's kind of like the whole living your life backwards thing. Successful people live their lives backwards. They see where they want to be and then work it backwards to figure out how to get there 
like um, Olympic medalists will imagine themselves in the top spot on the podium, what it feels like to have that medal around their neck, the sights, the smells, the sounds, every little detail they can visualize and picture that every single day until they win. Have you done any of that kind of visualization? I have, yes. Um, I try to do that, especially for uh, for 2022. I've I've uh, I've already visualized myself, you know, at nationals, being being right where I want to be, um, and and achieving the goals that I had. And it's it's really rewarding when you actually do achieve the the goals that you have set. So it's it's really important, at least for me, to be able to visualize those those goals in the future and then it's really satisfying to be able to achieve them when the time comes so something that i talk about a lot is the performance bubble and how when you set your goal if you set your goal on first place your performance bubble includes all the things you might that might go well and all the things that might go poorly so if you set that right on first place and things go poorly that are outside your control you could land within top five and you're not going to be happy with that but if all goes well you're either going to win or win by a small margin Mm -hmm. so instead you take that performance bubble and place it above first place so then even if things go wrong maybe you have a malfunction or it's raining or whatever may happen that's outside your control you still will win but if all goes well, you'll win by a bigger margin. So you have to actually calculate what margin you need to win by to account for things that might go wrong. So then your expectation in your practice is, okay, I need to be beating what I did last year by 10%. In or- That's how much margin I need is 10%. So now in your practice, You want to be doing 10% better than you were doing last year. And hopefully you have some sort of a range log so that you can keep track of that. And if you get that margin, then even if you fail, you still win. Right. Yeah. That's a really good way to, to, to see it. I I try to do that as well. I don't, I don't like to set a, like, I don't want to say I'm going to finish in first. I want to say that I'm going to do this much better than I did last year. Um, and yes, I do have a training log. I, I, I've found it very useful to have a training log to, to actually, I've turned it kind of into a diary for, for training sessions. I'll go through and I'll analyze everything about the training session and break it down and and write it all down. That way, if I ever need to go back and look at something, I have, I have the evidence that I need. I have the hard, the hard evidence that I need to actually have data to go back on. Yeah. And what you're really looking for is consistency. So again, throwing out those outliers, good or bad, and looking at the median so you can compare progress. So how far before your training session are you coming up with your training plans? Um, I'll usually put my training plans over the weekend for the week. And then, uh, if I feel I need to address certain issues at the end of that certain week, like if I, if I build a training plan on Sunday for the week and then one of those days doesn't go very well, I'll revisit that, uh, that particular training session next week 
and uh, and address it again. I think a mistake a lot of people make is that they make their training plan too far in advance. And the mm. problem with that is that we're always evolving and changing. And you might be working on something because you said you were going to work on this thing, but there's there are other things that are lower hanging fruit that you need to spend more time on instead. Yeah. Um, there's an analogy that I heard uh, a while back um, from a, from a guy who used to be on the action shooting team. Um, but he basically described your skills uh, as balloons in, in a room. So if you have all these balloons that fill up a room and each balloon has a has a meaning so like one balloon could be reloads one balloon could be a draw one could be shooting on the move and throughout throughout the training season all those balloons are going to start to fall so your job is to keep all the balloons off the floor and that that kind of stuck with me because that that analogy basically helped me visualize all the skills and be like okay so if I have this and it's starting to fall, I need to work on this to push it back up. That's a really cool analogy. I like that. That's really cool. So are you using like your weekend matches as a way to kind of like, this is what I need to work on during the week? Yes. If I, if that weekend and uh, I find an issue during my training that I need to work on, I'll use the match uh, as a, as a training, as a training setting to, address that issue because match stress that's not something that you can replicate and the only way that you can put yourself under match stress is going to matches i agree with that and match reliability is a thing with your equipment and that it is, i would yeah. disagree i would say you can replicate it it's just not as good it's not going to be exactly the same but you can bring pressure to your practice you can't yeah, bring self-induced. I think I think it's easier if you at least have like a training partner or something to at least push you. Yeah, you know, I think it's nice. hard it's hard to bring that same level of match thing when you're just by yourself. I mean, you can try and be a little bit more intense, but it's not the same when you got people watching or you got you know your buddies watching that you're competitive with. Or so I think that brings a different level to it. You know, doing it, it on the clock in front of people and making it right. So in in training, I'll, we will create that match stress like we'll we'll create it in the sense of like this is the last nationals you know you're you're tied with the leader this is this is the stage for all the marbles here we go and And to be able to do it on command consistently right or is it just a the consistent ball busting back and forth and you just don't want to hear it if you lose (laughs) (laughs) i mean always some of that going around but yeah that's that's what would drive me you know like all right well i just don't need to hear from all these guys so let me just crush them you know (laughs) but i guess you guys are more supportive than that now i know that the amu is your sponsor not any particular company but can you tell us about what gear you've been using um so the the gear that i use is uh of course everything everything is bought by the by the amu um i don't i don't pay for any of it um i'm very fortunate about that but i'm currently running a double alpha holster and mag pouches and then the the pistol i'm running is actually one that the amu builds in-house not really cool they do all the the i'm I'm assuming it's 38 super and and that's awesome. Yeah. 
they uh they'll build so they'll build them in-house just like any other uh custom gunsmith we have a custom shop and they their job is to make sure our equipment works when we have issues with it we'll bring it to them and and say hey you know we'll we'll outline the issue that we're having with it and we'll uh we'll discuss a solution to fix that issue so you don't do any of your own gun work on on government guns so on a unit gun they actually don't want you to <laughs> i'm so jealous right now <laughs> i think it's kind of oh, cool that they build you a custom gun i think that's pretty awesome so it's just like yeah. any other like infinity or atlas or anything that you would buy it just is made by them that's all awesome. they clean them for you too <laughs> no. hey, we try to clean go find them. a private <laughs> We, See, we that's, that's where you make the guy who lost the USBSA match between you guys or in practice, that's who cleans the guns, you know? See, there's a little competition. <laughs> so what is your know. rank? I'm an E4. I'm a specialist. Okay, so maybe not quite enough to pull on a private and say, hey, clean my gun. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'll clean my own stuff. That's fine. <laughs> it's probably <laughs> safer that way. Yeah, so well, it's basically, basically a 2011 that you got in 38 Super. They clean it, it and it comes back with no firing pin. <laughs> yeah. We all try to have very, very good relationships with, with everybody uh, that we work with just, you know, because we're all a big family and we try to, we try to stay that way. You want to tell us a little bit about your team? Who is on the team with you? How, how do you get along? Is it just like a frat party all the time? <laughs> oh, no, no. Um, we're, we're all a bunch of friends, um, but so our team chief is is uh, his name is Scott Peterson. He just took the job as a as our team chief. Um, he he shoots PRS, and then we have Joel Turner. He shoots three gun. He shoots open division and three gun. Then we have Houston Russell, uh, Nate Statskowitz, Jacob Hetherington. Uh, Tyler Payne, Aaron Eddins, John Browning, and then we picked up another PRS guy uh, here recently. His name's uh, Harmon. That's his last name is Harmon. Um, and then we have another guy coming on, uh, John Waddell. That's yeah, that kid. That kid's a monster. That kid is yeah. so good. I shot with him one time in Missouri, and uh, <clears throat> that kid can shoot, man. Yeah, we just recently picked him up. He'll he'll be on our team here. In- couple months yeah good addition yeah so awesome so do you guys travel together and shoot as a team we'll we'll do a team match every once in a while um like in what in 2019 we uh we made three gun nationals our whole team match so the whole team piled up in a in a van and we drove down and and shot three gun nationals as a group. That was a lot of fun. Um, the year before that, or a couple of years ago, I can't remember, but we did a, we did the pro-am as a team match. That was, that one was a really fun one, you know, a, an all steel match where you basically have to go ham on every single stage mm-hmm. because there's, there's a, a cash prize for every stage winner. So yeah, it's, that looks like fun. So are you required to shoot a certain number of matches? Do you make your own schedule? Do they tell you, no, you're shooting this match, this match, this match? How does that work? Um, for the most part, I can, 
I can pick and choose what matches I want to shoot and provide them with that list. And they'll, uh, for the most part, they'll approve the whole thing. Now, like I was going to go to area two this year, but, uh, because we had the Fort Benning multi-gun match, uh, we host that. So we build all the stages and, and we run the match. So we kind of needed all hands on deck for that one. So you're not going to defend your title. Uh, I wasn't able to do it this year, but, um, that's all right. So being, being up from where I'm at, uh, we, I shoot with the Marines a lot. And uh, talking to them, I had heard something about that they were trying to put together like, a, you know, like the Marines versus the Air Force versus the Navy versus uh, the Army, all that kind of stuff. Have you guys like talked about that more in detail? Is there going to be something like that? I actually haven't heard anything about that. Um, I don't know. I didn't know that was even going to be no? a thing. Oh, they do that for so bullseye maybe- shooting. Yeah, no, well, I know that uh, Major Hijack in the uh, Marine Corps squad, he was talking about that, um, trying to see if he could put something together. So maybe at some point he'll reach out to you or maybe you can reach out to him, Major Hijack, on, uh, you know, I know he's on Facebook or whatever yeah. it is, but uh, see if you guys could put something together because I think that would be interesting because I know that uh, I think it would be fun to watch to see who would win, you know? <laughs> yeah, that that would be a fun one. I'd, I'd look forward to doing that. Um, that would That would definitely – build that would build relationships with all the different branches too yeah that'd be cool right so they do something like that for for bullseye shooting out in san francisco they put on a bullseye match with all the different branches and then they go have a big award ceremony where they have a really fancy dinner i got to go to that a couple years ago that was pretty pretty intense very fancy but it was cool seeing all the different teams getting to talk and intermingle rather than just being their own separate entities doing their own thing never really getting to know each other right um we do have the uh all army competition that's every year it's in march but it allows for uh basically any any military unit can come in and compete in it for at least my understanding of it. That's how it works. I don't quote me on that. I don't know for sure, but um, I've seen, I've seen the Marine Corps show up and shoot it, but it's, it's a competition that is more based on um, combat effectiveness. So there's like rifle marksmanship, pistol marksmanship. There's uh, there is a mock-up three gun match, but it's, um, it's a, it's a little more strenuous. So we have like a, uh, we'll have a, a sled that they'll have to drag or, or, a, a casualty that they'll have to buddy carry over their shoulder, things like that. I've seen yeah. pictures of that. That's where everyone's in full kit. Yeah. Yep. You no. Know, okay. Ugh. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of work. Carrying six <laughs> pounds of rifle plates and, <laughs> and gear that, that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound very fun to me. It's but. like a workout. Fun if they built in like yeah. the grenade launcher or like the AT4 rocket launcher built that yeah. into the stage. Oh, okay. <laughs> Go blow up a Jeep. Like a, like a massive, like a massive uh, USPSA target or something out of field, like just to scale. Right. Yeah. Shoot it with the... <laughs> That'd be fun. That would be cool. Mike, yeah, you need to come up with with a question now. It's I your do. Turn. Yeah, it's well, your turn. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I would have to say, I would have to say, 
what is what is the best what is the best thing about the army marksmanship unit and 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 what is the worst thing if you you know i don't know about if there's a worst thing but like what is the thing that takes the the most amount of work that you hate doing every day that requires for to to be where you're at in the amu um well as far as the best thing i mean i've i've been blessed with the opportunity to be a part of this organization that very few people get to be a part of and it's it's very humbling to be here it has opened a lot of doors i'm able to meet a lot of different people um that's that's something that i do really enjoy is being able to meet a bunch of different people and and, uh, branch out and see see what all there is out there to see um and in terms of like necessarily bad things i don't i don't really see any any bad things i mean there's there's things that we all have to do, you know, we're in the army. So there's things that we have to do that might not necessarily pertain to our, our day to day. But, um, for the most part, there's, I have no complaints with where I'm at right now. It's a great place to be. I love it here. It's awesome. Yeah. So your goals are, I'm assuming to make the world shoot team. Yes. I, I would like to make that. Um, unfortunately I can't make it for, so I mean- the, canceled a few times right mm-hmm. yeah uh, so i'm not gonna hey, third to time's a charm <laughs> i won't be able to make it to the next one but for the the next world shoot after that i'm gonna be working really hard to make it to that team well at this point they should just do do it two years in a row <laughs> right <laughs> you gotta yeah. make up for well, last time here so you're sticking with open you're not gonna do any shotgun or any rifle or any stuff like that it's just basically you're focused on open USPSA is that uh, well I, how is that are you do you guys have that like broken down in your team like you're like the open guy and then like somebody else does like this is their specialty or is it like everybody kind of does everything so um for at least the USPSA team uh we have one person in limited and that's John Browning we have two people in open now and that's myself and Aaron Eddins he he's a recent hire. He just got onto the team. He's been here for I don't know. Yeah, eight. he shoots around my area, my crushed area, or crushed Virginia State this past year. He was really good. So yeah. he's a yeah, dynamite yeah, shooter. He's a good he's a good shooter, good addition. Um, and then we have Jacob Hetherington that shoots production in USPSA, but he also shoots three gun for the team as well. So he he kind of jumps back and forth between three gun and USPSA. So you guys all kind of have like your own thing that you do. So who's your PCC guy? Let me ask that. (laughs) (laughs) I like shooting every day. Sign me up. I like, I mean, I don't know about what is the electrician MOS. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I can fix your lights and I can come shoot. I'm down. Hey, I used to be an electrician before I joined the army. Oh, there you go. See, we got something in common. (laughs) I very dangerously did all of my own wiring in my basement. Oh. Oh. Well, see, that's what keeps people like me employed when that stops working. Right. I think I did a pretty good job. They all work at least. <laughs> hey, important thing. As long as the house doesn't burn down, they all right. work. Right. <laughs> so, Dex, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't talked about? Um, I'm, I'm here for you guys. I'm, I'm just here answering questions you guys have. I don't really have anything that I was specifically yeah. looking for. So does the army marksmanship unit pay for you to fly internationally to shoot matches? Because you need to come and shoot an epic match. No, uh, we do. Me and Keita, <laughs> <laughs> taxpayers. 
we've tried to get uh, approval to go shoot international matches. It's it's a little harder because being in the army, it's you know we go shoot international. How how do we promote the army in a in a foreign internationally? Country? Well, I, I don't know if it's about promoting the army or just showcasing <clears throat> our skills. I would I would think that would be something that but, we would want to be doing. We would want you to be going other places to show what we can do. And, no, I, I really want to go shoot internationally. It, it would be really beneficial for everybody involved to be able to go shoot on on an international level. I mean, uh, besides the world shoot, we don't really uh, compete in international IPSC matches, at least that any that I've seen. Um, but like I said, that's not something that can't happen. I mean, it, it can very... Very, it's it could be very possible in the future. I just I uh, I've I've talked to the guys enough to know that it's kind of difficult to do. But besides that, it'd be kind of no- cool to get like a military version of like an IPSC league going. You know, like where you would travel around to different parts of the world and and like shoot against their whatever team. You know, like you know, the army, <laughs> army ship unit of whatever other country war. you're in. Yeah, well, you know, like as like as like a fun thing, like just a competition, just shoot like an IPSC match or something like that. I think that would be that would be cool, you know. It would just be interesting to, I don't know. I think that that be incredible. Thing. The the AMU was founded in 1956 by Eisenhower to compete on the world stage because the Soviets are are the the reason we were uh, the reason we were uh, authorized was because of the Soviets. So we, we had to put something out there because the Soviets had a shooting team and they were going around, going around and, and showcasing their skill. So we had to have something. So that seems like the entire principle. You should be traveling internationally. Yeah, the, so the, the Russian I think we've team answered that question. crushing the European championships and all of that. So I think you guys need to. Why don't you just Why don't you just put them on your list and see if they get approved? You know, I mean, you said they mostly get approved. Just like see if you can sneak, <laughs> sneak one through. You know, kind of put it in the middle. You know, yeah, just yeah. like <laughs> European hanging champs. Just like right. put that on and just like see if Czech they... Republic something like that. Be like, well, it was approved. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, for one thing, it's going to improve your skills. For another yeah. thing, it's going to, like these guys said, showcase your skills. It's going to bring prestige to the right. AMU. To the mm-hmm. United States, let's go. Back-to-back World War champions, you know? Come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, Grant is losing his mind over there. <laughs> all right, Grant. The, or South, know, South Africa, Africa guy. South Africa's all right. You guys are, you know, you just hang there. You guys are. Dead. Hey, we helped. We, we helped in World War II, okay? We helped. We helped. <laughs> Funny. But, you know, the majority of our teams actually do compete on the international stage. So at, at, from, from my knowledge, that's all they do is compete on the international stage. Like the, the shotgun team, they, they travel all over the world all the time competing in international shotgun uh, competitions. It's, it's really cool to be able to see that. But, so that's more trap to... and skeet, though, isn't it? That's, uh, that's going to be uh, trap, and, trap and skeet, I believe. Well, there's also a Ipsic shotgun. I was going to say, I've seen something like that. Like I've seen yeah, a, I've a shot the, run one of those. I competed in that in, where was I? The Philippines. Mm-hmm. Ipsic shotgun. It's pretty fun. So can you take, like, if they don't approve a match, can you take time off and do it on your personal time? Like, if you wanted to go shoot internationally, are you even allowed to do that? How much personal time do you get that's like you can call your personal time? 
Like, do you get like two uh, weeks vacation? Oh, we get um, so like leave time that we that we accrue over a course of a of a year. We get two days of leave a month. Does so, it roll over from so, year to year? To a point, there's use or lose, um, but I can build up a, an amount of leave time. That's just, uh, uh, I believe Keita knows how it works. It's a it's a big army uh, leave standard. So like, um, I could go on a month of leave if I have 30 days of leave. I can just go on a month and be, and go in those 30 days, you know, Within within reason, I don't want to be breaking the law or stuff like that. But right. So would they want... let you shoot a match that they didn't approve during that time? Right. That... Like if you really wanted to go to the check, like hey, I really wanted to do this. You said it wasn't approved, but can I take some time off to go do that and represent that and and represent the AMU, or do, would you just have to go there like personally, like no AMU affiliation uh, whatsoever? If I do that on leave, um, then it would it would be on me to do that. Like it would be on my dime. Right. For the most part, um, but theoretically, you could if if you really wanted to. There is some gray area there. I don't. I don't have a full understanding of it, but I've tried to do that in the past, and it's a little bit of a gray area when it comes to shooting competitions on leave. That otherwise, uh, so there's a targeting, like the unit would target certain matches, and um, if it's like a level two or a level three, that's like an area match or a national match is something that would be considered a targeted uh, a targeted match for like marketing. And if you that, guys just need to hit one on every continent, obviously, except for Antarctica. But like, why don't you do one in Europe, one in Africa, one in, you know, like, I don't understand why. I think that would be very cool. That would yeah. be really, I mean, but we're not, we don't have an endless budget. <laughs> we do have a budget. Well, if you shot 200 rounds a day versus 400 <laughs> rounds a day. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a different budget we have a budget for that there's a whole bunch of different stuff that goes on that i'm like that's way above my pay grade that i don't know what happens that i i just put in my hand and i pull the trigger yeah at the beginning of the fiscal the year they part. have to lay out their budget for every little different thing if yep. they're bringing instructors they choose the instructors at the very beginning of the fiscal year and they can't change it for the whole year okay well it sounds like the next uh 2022 is going to be a very um you know money intensive year because you're going to be shooting a match at every continent so that sounds like it'll be awesome (laughs) mike you want to talk about our show sponsor yeah no davinci machining um if you're in the market for a pcc uh check them out davincimachining.com it's the most reliable pcc on the market all right. Thank you so much, Dex Bradley from the AMU for joining us today. Yeah, thank thanks, you, Dex. Thank that you, was Mike. awesome. It was good that talking was... to you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate Pretty it. Pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, hopefully see you at a match in uh, Africa sometime. Yeah. <laughs> and good yeah. luck in good luck in 2022, man. You know, I hope you guys crush it. So go win nationals. That's yeah. the goal. That's that's the ultimate goal. <laughs> thanks, Dex.